You're listening to Novel Bound, a podcast dedicated to making you laugh and keeping you company. Each week, we're sharing all of our favorite books and the embarrassing side of life. Welcome back to Novel Bound. I'm Anna. I'm Celine. And today we are going over everything Divine Rivals. This is the episode to listen to before the next book comes out. Which comes out so soon. The day after Christmas, if you guys are wondering. What are like when you picked up this book, like what had you already heard about it? I honestly did I hadn't picked it up. You started reading it and you were like, you need to read this book. The banter is perfect. Yes. So that's all I knew going into it was that it was like really good banter and it was about these two like writers. Yeah. So I was like, okay, say no more. I I did get tricked into reading a book about war. Yes. I will say that. Yes. But it was worth it. Oh, it was worth it. This is one of those books that like I didn't know anything about it going in at all. Same. Didn't read the summary, didn't read the back page. Anna and I are severely bullied all the time into reading books. Like that's our Thorn on Glass, um, A Court of Thorns and Roses, Prison Healer recently, Divine Rivals, Fourth Wing. Mm -hmm. We have so many people that like message us and are like, have you read this book? And once like 12 people have consecutively messaged us, we're like, okay, okay. Okay, Well, I guess we'll read it. Like we, so many books have come into our life because we have gotten so many messages from people being like, have you read this yet? Why haven't you read it yet? Um, I need you to read this. Like, here's go. I mean, I judge a book by its cover. You have to in the term literally. And I love Rebecca Ross. But the cover just like to me did not portray anything that it was about. So I was like, you know, I have a ton of stuff on my TBR. So it was worth the read for sure. So my gosh. And we read this book immediately after Fourth Wing. Yeah. So like that is a huge deal. If you followed us, you know how we feel about how hard it is to read a book after reading a good book. Yeah, fourth thing put at least me into a severe book slump. Yeah. It was hard to get out of. <laughs> um, but Divine Rivals, I would say this is a dark academia comfort read. I could see that, yeah. You yeah. are disagreeing with me. What do you think it is? It's not that I'm disagreeing. It's the fact that like you are so heavily thrown into like war, but it's still like you get all the comforts like of you know their relationship like Luke. comfort read that's a weird way comfort to describe read. the fact that like these not- two people are out on the front lines for like a week and this is a yeah. comfort read <laughs> you know what i'm kind of always high right now because of the lack of sleep i'm getting so maybe for me i was like clean. i honestly though like they you can say comfort read in terms of their relationship because it's no questions you are not questioning what their feelings are at all oh, that i appreciate okay. So if you were to pitch this, if you were to pitch Divine Rivals in one minute, why should someone read this book? Um, very extremely amazing lyrical writing. And it is very enemies to lovers. And once you pass the enemies to lovers, it is pure fluff. The romance, the love, the commitment. And the story is very interesting. Very, like, I'm very, words. I'm really excited to see where she takes them in the second book in terms of the world building like the mythology that she's brought in is interesting when two young rival journalists find love through a magical connection they must face the the depths of hell in a war among gods to seal their fate forever 
After centuries of sleep, the gods are warring again. But 18-year-old Iris Winnow just wants to hold her family together. Her mother is suffering from addiction and her brother is missing from the front lines. Her best bet is to win the columnist promotion at the Oath Gazette. To combat her, war her worries, Iris writes letters to her brother and slips them beneath her wardrobe door, where they vanish, into the hands of Roman Kit, her cold and handsome rival at the paper. When he anonymously writes Iris back, the two of them forge a connection that will follow Iris all the way to the front lines of battle for her brother, the fate of mankind, and love. And then it says, Shadow and Bone meets Lore and Rebecca Ross's Divine Rivals, an epic enemy Silver's fantasy novel filled with hope and heartbreak and the unparalleled power of love. It was amazing. It was amazing. It so let's so just good. get into the summary. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you start us off? So if you, this is a recap episode in order to get mm -hmm. everyone prepared for the next book. So we're basically going to just like go over the characters, the plot, what kind of happens. Um, and then we'll have like a little book club discussion. And so if you guys... Spotify has this new feature where you can put comments in there. And so we'll have a couple questions and stuff like that. And we want you guys to be a part of the discussion. Yeah. Um, not only do we want to hear what you have to say, but also like it really helps us out when you guys interact with our content. So we'd love for you guys to put your thoughts when we have these questions. So let's start off. Yes, exactly. Go ahead and like, let's go. Let's go. Babe. Okay. So to start it off, um, centuries ago, the gods of this world which is cambria warred until only five remained and with the five there were two families of gods the underlings and the skywards and the humans were eventually able to subdue the five gods in slumber and they buried all of them under different parts of cambria this the world and seven months ago an underling god dacre i don't know how to pronounce the names i don't know if it's dacre or dacre i don't think it really matters but dacre and a skyward goddess emba awoke dacre declared war on Iris, an 18-year-old working at the local paper, the Oath Gazette, works to support herself and her alcoholic mother, who fell apart when her brother left months ago to fight for Enva. So the way that this is, I kind of explained in the book, is that Enva sends this song out to people. She, like, sings to people, and they hear her song and answer her call. And that's why they go fight for her. Honestly, we don't really know anything about Enva and Dacre at this part. So that's all we know. I think the world... Honestly, I think this was, I'm like, hi, let's get into it. I was, I, I'm wondering if this was based off of anything, like any specific lore. I would love to know, honestly. Because this is like super unique and I'm like, oh, is this like a rock? You know how um, Shadow and Bone was like a retelling of, it was like a Russian fairy tale. Or, yeah. Yeah. And so um, it's funny because this takes place in this, not alternate universe, but like, well, yeah, it is an alternate universe because there's, yeah, yeah. But it feels so much like World War II. I cannot. It is insane how you are right. It does. And it takes place in like London, but it's not like, you know what I mean? It feels so British and it feels so much like it takes but place. But it's not at the same but time. But it's not. And I, yes. it's not like she's, she, she shows versus tells because obviously she's not saying that it is, but the way that I can immediately identify and be like, this is an AU. This is an AU. And I oh yeah. Yeah. It's an AU we love. Okay. So back to Iris and her mom, she is barely getting them by months ago. The electricity was turned off. Like I remember reading, she has candles that they have to light. That's been dripping all over the furniture, the tables and the walls and stuff, everything, all the furniture to pay for her mom's addiction, including mm -hmm. like all of her grandmother's stuff. Like she was talking about how the home was silent. Um, when she got, yeah, home. her mom sells her grandma's radio and she's like, that's the one thing she's like, I and the mom sells it and it's not like she uses it for rent money. She like 
sells it and uses it to buy alcohol, which is even more heartbreaking for Iris. I feel like she, Rebecca does a great job making you understand she's not in a good place. She was a dropout from college. I think I already said that. Yeah, she no, did. but she dropped out from high school. I think she didn't even finish high school. Something like that. It's been a while. Yeah. I've read like 12 books since then. Since Yeah. No, what I feel is I think Rebecca Ross is like she's an instructor in showing versus telling. And mm-hmm. so she doesn't say like, you know, how Wattpad is where it's like, I am a poor orphan. I'm a poor girl. I hate being poor. She talks about she shows us by like talking about how her thing. shoes aren't fitting right. Mm-hmm. Has to wear her mom's shoes because she doesn't have these things and how like she's walking with a limp. And then I love 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 the fact that we get roman's perspective of this so not she's trying to like act grown up about this like obviously it's hard but then you see rowan he is like why is she limping why is this happening he is noticing all of this and that is one of my favorite tropes is when the male protagonist um is like the who hurt you kind of thing where it's like he feels so protective over her and he wants to help her but she's never gonna ask for it but he's gonna be like let me help you like the scene to me shows up. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. So as of right now, Iris, basically her only ambition is to defeat Roman. They are work rivals. They're both fighting for the position of columnist, a job which will give her a pay increase. And she obviously desperately needs it. And this is, like I also think I'm used to lovers part. This is where oh, they yes. are bantering back and forth, like so intensely. Um, she, in fact, so many times, like she's hurting and she will, I'll be like, this would be a great time for you to tell him that you're kind of going through stuff right now and she's like actually i'm gonna give the best comeback ever and i'm like oh honey she will she does not open up she was like you will provide this information from my cold at hands absolutely not will i be vulnerable with you uh but what i love is they both read each other's papers and will never admit it they both are like ugh, but i'm gonna read a paper because she writes amazing it is so good i'm trying to think like it's paris geller energy like unbridled yes yeah that's how it feels. that's accurate I like that yeah but so kind of what's holding Iris back a little bit is she really wants to write about the war what's really going on she wants to learn all the little details but the paper is they don't say it outright but she does a good job of making the reader understand that there is definitely a censorship going on in the Oath Gazette so they cannot talk about any of the deep war details none of that stuff it's all froth yeah and there's a reason why so Basically, this is like the political stuff. So Enva is like, it's an alluding to like the positive light filled side. And then um, Dacker is like the like dark side or whatever. Yep. And Enva, people who play music or or whatever are called through music to like go and fight at the things. And, And Iris's brother hears the song and he's like, I have to leave you and I have to go. And so Iris in her heartbreak writes this letter to her brother and she's like, I feel so selfish for hating you right now, but I'm so upset with you. And so she types it all up um, on her grandmother's typewriter that she has. And so she types this letter up and just like puts it in her closet. Cause she's like, I literally don't like, I just need to get these feelings out. Mm-hmm. She writes it out about how she feels so heartbroken about her brother. And she hasn't heard from him in months. She's like, where are you? Why aren't you responding? Do you love us anymore? Mom's completely gone. Like everything that I've ever had is there. And so she writes this like really long letter um, on her typewriter and she puts it in. Yeah. And so for months she's been doing this and she doesn't know what else to do. The only thing to bring her comfort, she puts them under her closet door and they are disappearing. She does not know how, she doesn't know why. All she knows is that she thinks her brother is magically getting these letters. 
She's hoping at least. But so she writes this letter and this is where we learn. This was so delicious when I first read this POV that we also get Roman's POV. And he has been getting her letters all of these months and he has not responded to a single one. He's just been, he's been reading them obviously. And I think he's really cherishing that, cherishing them. And he's figured out it's her very quickly. Oh yeah. He knows exactly who it is. Yeah. Um, so she sends this last letter and he finally is so moved by everything she's feeling that he writes her back and he does not tell her who he is, obviously, because he knows that that would be bad. So he's called, he's called himself Carver, which is his middle name. Because he feels, he knows how embarrassed she will be if her, and like, she knows that he knows that she hates him. She, he knows. And it's because Mm -hmm. he made a stupid comment because he was super insecure on her, on his first day where he's like, she isn't anything like, she's like some poor college dropout like I am not threatened by her and so like Iris was motivated by spite she's like I'm gonna freaking do this so they've been actually I'll be the best at this anyone ever has been yes and so he like recognizes her need to succeed and stuff so he's constantly pushing her to be her best constantly pushing her to challenge herself like come on Iris show up on time Iris like you know just basically like giving her an entire purpose and as he's learned these things about her brother he is driven to like so much love and compassion for her but can't ever oh yeah and the reader knows this but he hasn't yet admitted to himself how deeply he's fallen for her he's whipped he's whipped so so whipped and honestly throughout all of this too you do learn like he grew up in an upper class upbringing, but that comes with a lot of downward. He's definitely thing. got like a manipulative father. Yeah. Like, yeah, they don't once again, show versus tell, which we love. Um, You don't I don't think they ever mentioned that he's like abusive, abusive, but he's definitely like the way that the wife acts around her husband mm-hmm. is like very much like battered woman, like kind of vibes like cannot yeah. you like women should be seen and not heard whatever it is and roman doesn't know what to do in that situation like yeah. the only thing well, and he, he thinks he deserves power. all this bad treatment right because yeah. years ago he was there when his i think it's his sister when his sister died she drowned and so he's like i don't deserve to be happy i deserve to do whatever they say because i couldn't save my sister yes oh that is we'll talk more about that later because that is one of the biggest heartbreaking things i've ever heard in my life so, so honestly, happens. he writes back, this isn't your brother. And she responds like, oh, cool. Can you uh, burn all of those letters? And he's like, I would love my letter back, actually. And he's like, no, uh, I'm going to keep it. Yes. And yeah. so she starts, they like have a correspondence. Like every night they are writing back and forth to each other. So um, they become like best friends. Yeah, it's cute. And you learn so like they're connected by their typewriters, right? So Iris inherited an old typewriter from her nan. And with it, she's been um, that's everything that she writes on. So that's when she first wrote her first letter to her brother. So she has been writing Roman back and forth unknowingly. I'm sorry, all this over. There are so many parts that I wanted to like pull from when she I writes. <laughs> what? I have to start over what I was saying. I was like, Okay, so you actually learn that, so Iris inherited a typewriter from her nan, and Roman inherited a typewriter from his grandma, and you learn that they were manufactured together, like, with the same magic. There was a third one. There was, like, this trio of girls who all were young, and one of them got really sick, and the girl who got sick, her father made these typewriters, and he, like, made them magical somehow so that they could deliver notes back and forth to each other while the other girl was still sick. They could still kind of communicate. So that's how they're able to communicate which is so cool. Um, so yeah, they have this super long correspondence. 
they grow they like share a lot of things with each other even throughout all of this carver you know roman is writing iris and he's like oh i actually have old lore from my grandfather about who the gods were that you can't find i think selena is like has some really good examples of his writings okay so i wanted to read this because it was so one of the things that i love about rebecca ross's writing it's it's very insightful and deep and reflective so one of the things that um so he sits through this dinner this horrible dinner i think the chapter is called like the worst dinner ever whatever and or dinner with people you hate or something like that and he finds out that he's supposed to be engaged to this girl who has no interest in him and he has no interest in her and basically he's being told by his father like you have to do that and let's add on top of it that they're involved with a lot of like bombs that could destroy the world yeah her dad her dad the girl's dad brings these crates out and roman is like um what's that and his father's like don't worry about it son but he's like but actually i am gonna worry about it yeah so he um goes he this is like i wanted to read this because it's such a good example of how their friendship grows this is the first time that he confides in her and he goes do you ever feel as if you wear armor day after day that when people look at you they only see the shine of steel that you've so carefully encased yourself in they see what they want to see in you, the warped reflection of their own face or a piece of the sky or a shadow cast between buildings. They see all the times you've made mistakes, all the times you've failed, all the times you've hurt them or disappointed them, as if that is all you will ever be in their eyes. How do you change them like that? How do you make your life your own and not feel guilt over it? Because he feels forced. This is like upping the stakes. He mm-hmm. feels forced to accept all of these um, things that he's like, he was forced to be on the paper. He was forced to marry this girl. And it's because he feels so horribly guilty about he was basically the only one watching his sister when she died and he had fallen asleep and so every day he's trying to atone for what he has done and so his father has manipulated him and then he goes i sincerely apologize for bothering with such thoughts i hope i didn't wake you no need to reply to me i just think it helps to type things out and this is where she goes I think we all wear armor. I think those who don't are fools risking the pain of being wounded by the sharp edges of the world over and over again. But if I've learned anything from those fools, it's that to be vulnerable is a strength most of us fear. It takes courage to let down your armor, to welcome people to see you as you are. Sometimes I feel the same as you. I can't risk having people behold me as I truly am. But there's also a small voice in my mind, a voice that tells me you will miss so much by being guarded. Perhaps it begins with one person, someone you trust. You remove a piece of armor for them. You let the light stream in, even if it makes you wince. And perhaps that is how you learn to be soft yet strong, even in fear and uncertainty. One person, one piece of steel. And um, he like, one person, one piece of armor. I'll strive for this. Thank you. And she writes this as her mother has not returned. Mm yeah so this is kind of where we're getting to shortly after they've started their correspondence uh her mom dies in a car crash and iris learns about this in the most heartbreaking way i think i've ever had a character discover a a death is it a i thought a car hit her i cannot remember i thought she fell in between the tracks or something because um Mm. now you're making me second guess maybe she did all i know is that so iris gets to work she still doesn't know her mom is, but she's like, you know what? She's probably at a club somewhere. I'm sure she's fine. She gets handed a stack of notices to print, like to write out to get printed. And the first one is local woman hit in an accident, dead, was wearing a purple coat. Like we need someone to come forward and identify her. And she was like, based off of the descriptions, Iris is like, oh my gosh, that's my mother. So she obviously runs out of work. 
Rowan sees her. He's really concerned for her. She gets to the station. She has to identify her dead mother, which she does. This sends her into a complete spiral for a good reason. I mean, her brother's missing. Even though her mom was an alcoholic, she still lost her last family member. I don't know why. I mean, I, I see why, but she tells no one at work about this. She doesn't show up the next day. Roman shows up to her house. She's obviously a mess. She's been crying all night long. He is picking up on these little details, right? But Iris thinks that he's just going to see her candles melted everywhere in her messy house. And she's like, I can't let him see me even more vulnerable right now. I just cannot. So she like accepts her coat from him. She slams the door in his face. And he's like, no, 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 no. Are you okay? Like, he's really worried about her. This is kind of where you see the dynamic change. Yes. And I feel like she lets you sit with it for a minute. And it's crazy because this you is- are in her grief for a minute. Yes. And I think it's hard. Like, okay, so right now I'm right, working on my book. And for me, it's really hard to let my characters sit in their pain, especially because mm. I want them to like, let's go on the adventure because they're about to go on this adventure. And instead, um, she lets us sit. And I feel like the power of this is that we really are pining for her. We're identifying with her and we're so connected with her journey as a character that like, it taught me a lot about the fact that like, if you want your readers to be connected to your characters, then you need to let them sit in their grief. Mm-hmm. And, um, Roman is like trying to reach out to her. So she in like a state of absolute insanity is like, I have to leave. I have to get out of here. Well, because of all of this, she loses the columnist position. Roman gets it. And like, that is the final snap. She's like, you know what? I actually quit. I'm not doing this. I can't. I'm not doing this anymore. Even Roman is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? Like, I kind of was doing this for you a little bit so she leaves she goes to the other job which is like the ink tribune um i'm trying to find where it says which is basically like war propaganda like they're looking oh yeah tribune she gets hired on to be a war correspondent yes because they're they they want to write what's really going on yeah they're actively trying to find people that are willing to go there they're like basically like so you're gonna die here's a liability waiver um, a big liability and they're like we'll give you a lot of money though <laughs> and she needs that money she does and she's desperate to find her brother like her mom just died and she's like i will find my brother i'm finding my last my last family like i have nothing holding me back now so she goes there she gets hired on she goes home to pack her like threadbare things because they have to wear this jumpsuit because they're in war-torn territory um that's a big note later on so she takes her typewriter, her little bag of things. She writes one last note to Carver because she doesn't realize the typewriters that connect to them yet. Slips under her door where she's like, you won't be hearing from me. And she sees that he has responded with a note, but she's like, no, I, I know if I open it and I read it, I'll stay. And Roman's freaking out. He's, Roman, he's like, where are you going? It's me. It's Roman. Don't go. May I ask where you're going? <laughs> like, Yeah. She goes, I'll carry the things you shared with me into my next adventure. And she like leaves. And he's like, may I ask where you were going? And he leaves. This is my favorite part is um, another piece of paper. That yeah, goes. I, and she's yeah. like, I can't open it because if I open it, I'm going to read it and I'm going to stay because I know, because like I genuinely start, like, I know that this person is such an amazing person that like I, they will convince me and I have to go. So she leaves the note unopened on the foot of her closet um so she ends up getting stationed at a bed and breakfast the owner her name is marisol um and there's another correspondent named Addie. 
who is kind of going to be like, I'm proving to my family that I can go do this. That like, you need to have experiences in life to, for reasons. Um, it's 80 kilometers from the front line, but they do get a lot of soldiers their way. So they end up taking care of a lot of them, nursing them, and they just do a lot for the town. Um, this is where she learns. So she continues to write the mysterious Carver. Um, and eventually Roman shows up. He also quit the oath and took a war correspondent job. Of course, he's pulling up as the siren is going off that like the winged beasts are coming. And she's like, oh my gosh. So she tackles him in a field and he's like, he thinks that she's coming to give her a hug. And he's like, what? wait, what? <laughs> it's delicious. I have to stay there for like a hot that minute. That part is like my favorite part because they have to stay there for like mm-hmm. an hour, just like trapped yeah. on each other. And they're just like... <sighs> Um, I also love the fact that everyone around them is continually being like, so you guys are obsessed with each other. Like at the new. Oh, like, everyone sees it. Everyone sees it. No, I hate But of him. course, Roman can't convince his feelings and he has not complained to her still that he is Carver. So Roman. though to start running. So they like start Roman falling. only, he, he literally breaks the engagement. He realizes that she's at the war front and he's like, I have to do everything to oh, get, yeah. to save her. Like I. He's at this point, he realizes there is no one else in the world for me but this girl. And mm-hmm. he would do anything. He'd go to the front lines for her. What is crazy is Iris is now realizing how much she had not, like, plot-wise, so, like, when we veer away from the romance, plot-wise, she's realizing how horrific the trenches are. How oh, so what happens, yeah. So they're in this town for a little bit, and finally roman gets the courage up to tell her he's carver right he writes her this little letter he gives it to her like he gets slipped under her door but of course she gets called to the front lines and he's like you're not going alone i'm coming with you so she doesn't get the chance to read the letter she packs it in her bag they both are there for like six days doesn't get a chance to read the letter doesn't get a chance to read the leather just sit on his lap because there's not enough room they have to like yep. together. she's crying and he's like i know exactly why you're crying but you haven't told me in real life so i can't come and he's so funny because he's like man whoever that guy must be an idiot like he's totally like hating on himself but it's not like it's so (laughs) cute and clever and you're just like "Ah!" like i love it it's so like mm, it's great it's a great uh conflict but so they end up getting attacked like the second to last day that they're on the front lines in the trenches and of course all of the soldiers are like you guys have to get out of here right now a bomb gets thrown Roman picks it up and throws it to, so that it doesn't blow Iris up, but he ends up getting gravely injured. Mine, this all happens as she's beginning to read this letter. So, of course, she hasn't finished reading the letter yet. He gets gra- like gravely injured. They have to take a car out of there. Like, they're separated. All of the soldiers she was with died. It's, like, very traumatic. It's, it's full-on war. She gets back to um, the place that they're staying at, this bed and breakfast. And she finally has a time to read the letter and she learns it's Roman. And even though the letter is like super romantic and it's like a confession of feelings, she's, she feels very betrayed. Like she feels humiliated almost. She was tricked by him because she's kind of growing to like Roman, but she obviously has deep feelings for Carver. They've shared very personal things with each other. Um, so they get back and she goes to see him in the hospital and he's like, oh, like, now you know now there's no secrets and she's like what do you mean like I feel so deceived and he like kisses her and she kisses him back and it's this like crazy moment but she can't accept it yet because she's feeling very overwhelmed so she runs away like our main characters do 
Um, but eventually so she realizes. You just have to understand that we are kicking and screaming. Like we're kicking our feet and we're just like, oh my god. Yeah. It's like successively, like one after the other. Like every time, every like Anna's saying these sentences, and after every single sentence, there is like a full like I'm screaming in my fist, being like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like like people are dying, like oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, people are in pain, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Yes, it is a back and forth thing. But eventually she ta- she like sits in her feelings for a little bit and she realizes that her feelings with Carver and Roman are the same. They both have this beautiful moment where they confess their feelings in the garden and she like jokes about that they should get married. And then Roman gets on one knee and he proposes to her and we are all screaming, crying, kicking our feet. And it felt right. Like I know that it there did. are some romances where you're like, oh, you said I love you already? Okay. But like you love them. This is my comfort romance. Mm-hmm. This is my comfort romance. There isn't any other romance I think I've read this year as maybe Prison Healer, but like this Mm, one. I just started that. I'm very excited to get into it. I am now holding you at gunpoint. I am bullying. I will. I will finish that. Third book. Um, Okay, so the celebration gets cut short, though, because, of course, the town is notified that it's about to be overrun by Dacre's forces. So they will be attacked at, like, dawn. But Roman and Iris are like, no, we are going to get married. And Marisol and Addie, like, help them do this really cute little ceremony. And they both take a shower and they put flowers in Iris's hair. And yes, they're in these ugly jumpsuits, but it's still really romantic. And they light, like, a hundred candles in Roman's room. And they have their, like, first night as a married couple together, which I, like, love that. It was so meaningful. It was so cute. Uh, Yeah. And then the next morning comes and it's down to freaking business. They have to get the town ready. They have to do the barricades all of this and marisol who's the owner of the bed and breakfast her wife comes into town yes and basically brings the news that um her brother is live and iris and he's at the front so iris goes i'm going to stay Mm -hmm. instead of evacuating i'm going to stay and i'm not going to evacuate so i can find my brother and roman's like well i have to stay with you so while everybody evacuates they are staying with all of the people that are the soldiers that are fighting and the soldiers all know that they're all going to die this is a death sentence because mm-hmm. they have these like is it the wyverns it's like a type it's like a type of like winged beast yeah i wish i could remember so maybe the way that she writes this war is like basically you imagine like the world like world war ii like there's the sirens that go off and they have to stay mm-hmm. on you know but instead of there being like like the There's like a lot of logical creatures instead like of like yeah they're the they're the weapons like they're hellhounds they have the hellhounds and the other like the winged things why can i think of the name of them i feel so stupid but okay. so they basically the next day comes because he they didn't attack in the morning so they had the whole day to set up the next day comes those winged beasts comes and drops tear gas on everyone those canisters that roman saw at, at his dad's house that's what that was it was tear gas um Iris and Roman get separated, but then Roman somehow finds Iris, has a gas mask on, gives her a gas mask, and is leading her out of the town to safety. She's confused. She doesn't know where he came from. She has, like, a really weird feeling in her gut. Finally, they she sees they get out onto the fields, and she's like, I'm not taking a step further with you until you show me your face. And it ends up being her freaking brother, who she has so many questions about. But it makes the first thought in her in Iris's mind is, oh my gosh, Roman, what happened to Roman? What's wrong with Roman? He has been following them this whole time on his injured leg, limping, just taking in all this tear gas. Obviously not okay. He collapses in the field where she first tackled him. 
basically left for dead. We know that he's dying. He's not okay. I, Forrest basically forces Iris to travel back to the Capitol, to their apartment. She feels awful. And Forrest doesn't even comfort her. So she's questioning who her brother has become. Um, and so this is when she learns that Forrest was injured at the front lines, like weeks into his service. And he was taken to the town of Mara, where he was too weak to evacuate once Daker attacked. So then Daker himself healed Forrest and forced him to serve in his army. That's what he's been doing with all these missing soldiers. He's been taking them, saving their lives, literally, and forcing them to fight for him. Wild. So the book ends on Daker finding Roman, dying in the field. He's like, he is not long for this earth. He is dying. I'm dying. Like, there's no question. He is going to die. Saves him. And he's like, oh, I've never had a war correspondent to fight for me, to be with me. That's where it ends. Oh, and Roman doesn't remember the fact that he was married. Nope. Oh, yeah. He loses his memory. He loses everything. Mm-hmm. So that means, though, because, okay, so how does one do, like, a, like a duology when they're already married? And so you have, only have so many options. And that's, yeah. like, do they hate each other? Do they fight? Is there mm-hmm. kidnapping? Whatever. No, no, no. They have to fall in love all over again in the second book. Yeah. And, like, is their yeah. love strong enough for them to, like, and the book the next book is called ruthless vows and i think about the fact that like yes. vows like marriage like is there a description yet i'm I'll looking at it right it. now oh my gosh yes okay so i will discuss what i have a couple questions so what surprised you about this book like what took you by surprise okay honestly um surprised me most as you all know i have a really hard time reading war books but i actually really enjoyed this it was good. The characters were really good. I felt like the world was really well written. Obviously, I'm obsessed with Roman and Iris. I'm obsessed with Roman. Yeah. Um, what character made you scream? And mine is Forrest. Mm-hmm. Such a such an like a whiplash assassination like of my heart. Like it was I, serious whiplash. Yeah. So Roman or not Roman? Uh, so Forrest, her brother basically saw iris's locket from her mom in the yeah i didn't even tell you that part oh my gosh and um er, in the trenches and he took that and like used that as this strength and courage to break free of the control and transport of mm-hmm. safety so he's like one of the only people i think in existence basically that has been able to break out of the control and so yes and what it teaches us is that it can happen yes ma'am yes ma'am mm-hmm. however I was so upset with him when he's like, we have to go. I'm lying to you. And he saw them in the, in the garden. He watched. He had, he had been setting this moment up for days. He had been at Avalon Bluff, which is where they were for days. He stole Roman's extra jumpsuit. Like how much she loved him Mm -hmm. and he left. Like, I don't know if I'm going to forgive him. He is a changed man. War has definitely changed him. What character did you relate the most to? Oh, I don't know. That's hard. I really liked Roman. I liked his, like, I need to fit this role that's been put for me. But, like, at the same time, that's not what my heart wants. I need to follow that and do what I want. Like, and he does. Which I'm interested to see. There probably won't be written out any consequences to that. I'm curious to see in the second book, like, what's going to come of that. Because obviously the chemist and and his daughter, like, they made the tear gas. I have to read the last page because it's so, it comes back to haunt us at the end. It said, so she comes home with her brother to the apartment where her mom, you know, is no more. And she said, 
And there on the floor was a piece of paper. Iris froze staring at it. She had left it there untouched. She had chosen not to read it months ago, fearing Carver would alter the course she was determined to take. She sat, you know, she set the candle aside. She stared at the paper, nearly holding it over the flame to burn. She didn't know if she was strong enough to open it. She worried it would break the last of her to read his words now. But in the end, she couldn't resist. The paper unfolded like wings in her hand. His words met her like a blade. She bowed over them. Iris, Iris, it's me, Kit. Roman Kit. He like that's what I'm that's what I was saying earlier. He like sent her this letter and he was like, It's me, don't go, it's me. Yeah. And she didn't read it. Ugh. Beautiful. So the whole time he was all this before him. And so that is like where I think his redemption is there. And so she knows she has to figure it out, but she thinks he's dead. Um, for me, I think Iris, I think that I just really relate to her because I think that she acted very rationally in every single aspect. And the situation that she was in like and she i understood all of her emotions and why she would act a certain way and i think sometimes i get frustrated with characters when i'm like mm-hmm. why are you doing this like but i understand why she didn't tell anyone why her rationalities were like why that, she yeah. went to the front why she acted this way so yeah yeah she's in a moment that makes it very understandable like her life is so torn apart it's yeah uh great i'm very excited well if you listen to all of this you should comment what you're hoping for the next book your thoughts what you loved about it i'm excited to see where it takes us i'm nervous oh okay wait i'm gonna read the um the yes. little thing for book two for ruthless spouse okay two weeks have passed since iris been returned home bruised and heartbreaking from the front but the war is far from over Roman is missing, and the city of Oath continues to dwell in a state of disbelief and ignorance. When Iris and Addie are given another chance to report on Dacre's movements, they both take the opportunity and head westward once more despite the danger, knowing it's only a matter of time before the conflict reaches a city that's unprepared and fracturing beneath the Chancellor's reign. Since waking below in Dacre's Rome, Roman cannot remember his past, but given the reassurance that his memories will return in time, Roman begins to write articles for Dacre, uncertain of his place in the greater scheme of the war. When a strange letter arrives by wardrobe door, Roman is first suspicious, then intrigued. As he strikes up a correspondence with his mystery with this mysterious pen pal, Roman will soon have to make a decision to stand with Dacre or betray the god who healed him. And as the days grow darker, inevitably drawing Roman and Iris closer together, the two of them will risk their very hearts and futures to change the tides of war. I'm very curious to know how she's going to pull off rewriting their love story. Because that's what she basically has to do. Yes. Unless it's going to be like very soon. And then a new conflict. Like I'm, I'm really curious. I'm so excited, and it's gonna yeah. be right after Christmas. Like Tanner the day has the day off, like that week off, and I'm like, cool. So I will not be in existence. Uh, no. Book. Like for the next 24 hours, that book will be being consumed. Like yeah. hey Rebecca, babe, can hey, we? Hey pop. What would happen if you just called Taylor up? <laughs> we just came on the podcast. Like, can we do a book club with you, girl? Can we do a book club? Uh, with you? Yes so fun okay uh, so drop your theories let us know what you think i literally don't even know what to think yeah. i'm so excited we love you guys right. until next time bye talk to you guys later bye